Right, well, good morning. Uh, as Ross said, my name is Sam Pritchard, and I am a part of Restoration Church, and very pleased to have the opportunity to, to speak with you today. I'm honored and privileged to be here and pray that uh, God will use this time to advance his purposes in your life. So our passage today is from the book of John, chapter 13, where Jesus washes the 12 disciples' feet. So this is our, our first water theme here. When I read the passage, one of the first thoughts I had is, okay, foot washing. Hmm. This doesn't really have any relationship to anything that we do today. No, one, no one's really washing any feet today. But then uh, last week, I was spending some time with my family at the shore, and I found myself with a hose in my hand, spraying it at my kids' feet, similar to this. And, uh, and we washed, washed the feet off, and I found, I found myself washing feet. Sometimes washing feet at the shore is, is not too bad. Maybe you go to Spring Lake or something, and you find a parking spot right there by the boardwalk, and spend the day on the sand, walk right off, and spray them off, get in your car, and you go right home. It's great. Other times, maybe you, you, know, you don't quite get out the door when you plan to. You get there. Everyone else is already there. Of course, you still go right up to the boardwalk, hoping that maybe some of the people there have the same philosophy that some people at Restoration Church have, that they're going to park as far away as possible to put others first. But after driving for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, you realize that at Spring Lake they don't have that same philosophy. So you end up parking about eight blocks away. So at the end of the day, you come off the sand, and uh, you go to where the hose is. You see the sign says, out of order. So no hose to, to spray off. So you're walking those eight blocks in your sandy flip-flops. When you get there, all you got is maybe... Some, some half-full bottles of water that have been baking in the sun all day. You kind of got to slosh them strategically to get all the sand off. Grab a towel, wipe them on the grass, or wipe them on your floor mat and just vacuum it out later. It can get a little gross that way. But as we think about this passage today of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, I don't want you to think about washing feet after an eight-block walk. I want you to imagine that you had 12 friends who went to the Jersey Shore, and they walked all the way from there to your house, and they're sitting in your living room. Oh, and by the way, you had a water main break yesterday, so you have no running water in your house. You only have a bathtub full of water that you hope is going to last all your water needs until the water main is fixed. Um, And so about all you can do is scoop out some water into a Tupperware bowl, grab an old towel, and go to work on those 24 nasty feet that just walked 50 miles from the Jersey Shore to your living room. Would you wash these feet? That's the picture I want you to have as we read this passage. Put yourself in those sandals. So we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 13. It'll be on the screen here as well. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So here we have Jesus washing the feet of the 12 disciples. In those days, walking was the primary mode of travel. So someone walking for 50 miles, whether even over a couple of days, would not be uncommon. So Jesus goes to it washing his disciples' feet. And as he does, Peter says, no way, not me. And Jesus says, well, if I can't do this, then you can't have anything to do with me. And so Peter then takes it to an extreme and says, well, then don't stop there. Wash my hands, too. How about some shampoo and conditioner, maybe? And so Peter's comments are followed by some explanation from Jesus about what he's doing. He says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, though not every one of you. When you read that, you might think that Jesus caught a whiff of someone's feet when he says, not every one of you is clean. Uh, But that's not the case here. He's speaking figuratively. This is a metaphor. His lesson isn't about literal water washing off dirt off of people's feet. So what is the metaphor? What does this water symbolize? Jesus says that the disciples are all washed clean except for Judas, meaning their sin has been washed away. Through Jesus' teaching, the disciples came to believe and trust in him. That was their full bath. And now he's not trying to bathe them again. He's just washing their feet. Jesus is saying that even after we've been washed through his word, we still need to be washed regularly through his word again and again. Not to be saved again or to be born again a second time, but in small ways like someone getting their feet washed. I know there are times when I'm reading my Bible and I come across a passage and I think, wow, I, I'm really not doing what this passage is saying. This is it's a familiar passage to me. I know what I should be doing, and I didn't really realize I wasn't doing it. It's almost like I had some, some chunk of mud somewhere on me that suddenly, through God's word, it gets washed off. This kind of washing with God's word also can happen through preaching. A preacher giving a sermon is bringing God's word to you anew and washing your feet with God's word. The effect it has on you depends on how you respond to it. We could sit back and spend the whole time evaluating the preaching. Maybe you're doing that this morning. Hmm, Let me think about how this preacher compares with other preachers. Or, eh, I think I would have said that a little differently if I were him. Instead, we can come in thinking, okay, God, how do you want to wash me with your word today? As I sit here and listen. What are you saying to me about my life through this message? Where do I need to surrender to you? Where do I need to change to your perspective? Where do I need to begin obeying you? This kind of attitude allows each of us to be washed with God's message to us and be cleansed, similar to how the disciples' feet were washed by Jesus. Now, as important as it is to allow ourselves to be washed by God's word, what Jesus is really asking of us is to wash each other's feet with his word. How can you bring God's word to others? You can bring God's word to someone without really preaching or even being preachy at all. Well, maybe the best way to do it is by sharing what God is doing in your own life. If you read something in the Bible that you realize washed some chunk of mud off of you, 
you can share that with others and, and wash them as well. Chances are that those closest to you have been seeing that muck in your life for quite a while, and it'll be encouraging to them that God is showing that, showing that to you, and it can improve your relationships with them. When you're leaving church or eating lunch on Sunday, is there a way that you can share with others what you felt like God was teaching you through the church service? When was the last time that you spoke with your spouse about what God was teaching you? Could you talk with your parents or your kids about how God's word is changing you lately? There are many people who say that their faith is private, that it's just between them and God. But it's hard to pass on to the next generation a faith that's never talked about. You may spend a lot of time thinking about how to follow God and relying on him and resisting temptation. But if it's a silent pursuit, then you lose the opportunity to share that with those closest to you. It can also be a great way to hold yourself accountable to grow in the ways you feel like you should be. It can be just the kick in the pants we all need to have someone say to you, Hey, uh, didn't you say that you felt like God wanted you to cut back on playing so many video games? Or on drinking so much? Or on reality TV? On social media? When it's your own words, it's hard to argue with. Now, as important as it is to get this washing... Now, it is important to get this washing in the right order. It's easy to go overboard with thinking about washing others and neglect yourself. It's easy to hear a sermon and think, you know who really needs to hear this? My brother, my sister, or I hope this person sitting next to me is listening. Or I think I'm just going to tune out and start strategizing how I can get him to listen to this sermon online. I'm sure there's nothing here for me. It's possible also to read the Bible and think, yep, this verse shows why that person is wrong. Or, oh man, I wish he were reading this right now. That would really set them straight. You can just become totally judgmental about the whole thing. That's why one of the best ways to wash someone else's feet is to humbly share what God's teaching you. It's hard to be holier than thou when you're talking about how you screwed up or about how what you need to be working on. I want to move on now to the next part of this passage. This is after Jesus has finished washing everyone's feet and gotten cleaned up. We'll continue here in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. My paraphrase would be, you guys call me the boss, and you should. I am the boss. I'm the big cheese. But if, as the boss, I'm getting down on my hands and knees to wash your grubby feet, it shouldn't be beneath you to do it. I want you to do likewise. I think if most people imagine becoming the boss or getting to the point where they've arrived, it rarely involves washing someone's feet. What's included in your idea of when you've arrived or become the boss? In one company where I worked, there was an opening for a high-ranking position. It had been over two years since there was an opening at this level in the company, and there were a lot of people who were excited at the opportunity to be the boss of those who had been their peers. I got an interesting vantage point to see these applicants applying for this job because I was one of the interviewers. 
as I sat in that office listening to person after person answer, uh, nervously answer tough interview questions, I found myself wondering what these applicants imagined when they saw themselves as the boss. Did anyone ever think, I think I could be a better contributor to this company if I were in this other role compared with what I am now? Or did they just want to move up? Were they thinking of how they could serve others in this role, how they could develop employees, help customers, motivate people, appreciate people, lead by example? Or were they thinking more about how if they got this promotion, they'd be a big shot and other people would be whispering, you see her? She's a director. Don't mess with her. I think we all have these ideas of the future in our minds that we're working towards something or even just waiting for something. We think life will be great when I finally fill in the blank. For some, it's being the boss, getting a promotion. If I could just get a promotion, all my money problems would go away and life would be perfect. Others have a different idea of what it will look like when they've arrived. Maybe you think, when I graduate, then life will be great. If I could just get married, then I'd be fine. If I could own a home, if I could own a bigger home, if I could just have a baby, then life will be what it's supposed to be. Maybe you're waiting for your kids to move back to the area. Or maybe you're waiting for your kids to move out. Maybe you think, like so many people, I don't like my job. I'm tired of waking up at 5 a.m. every day. But it's what I've needed to do for my family. Once I can finally retire, then my life will really begin. Whatever it is for you, I want to ask you a question. When you're daydreaming about that day when you've finally arrived, are your daydreams about serving yourself or about serving others? Do you think more about how you can be even more of who God created you to be when you've arrived or about how others will think that you're hot stuff? Maybe you think more about how you'll have the freedom to be isolated from every other human being on the planet. The Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. By paying attention to what you daydream about, you can get a window into some of the deepest desires in your heart, what your heart, what you truly treasure. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with resting from something exhausting, but hopefully that rest will allow you to invest in relationships important to you, to give you the chance to serve those you love and to serve those who don't have anyone to share God's love with them. The world is definitely pulling us toward this idea of how satisfying a self-serving life can be. So many smartphone commercials today communicate that if we just have the latest technology so we can get the information we want instantly all the time, then we'll be able to live the life of a superhero or a movie star. If we can just get 3G or 4G or 5G or whatever the latest thing is, then we will have really arrived, the world would say. My son Joel has a clear picture of when he will have arrived. It's, it's going to happen this fall. He's going to be in first grade. This isn't kid stuff kindergarten anymore. This is a grade with a number, and it's number one. <laughs> Those kindergartners are going to look up to him like he is a giant because he is in first grade. Now, to those of us who have been out of first grade for quite a while, it's kind of laughable to think of a first grader as a big shot, but this is really so different from what, what we do to impress other people. When you take a step back, some of the things people do to impress others are kind of strange. Financial guru Dave Ramsey says, Americans buy stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. But following Jesus' example, 
We don't have to live like that. Last week, I got an unexpected phone call from a friend. He had been my boss for a number of years. He's an accomplished business leader who'd always try to focus on results while truly caring for his employees. About a year ago, he left the company unexpectedly because his wife got offered a huge promotion to run a large business in China. So he, his wife, and his kids moved to Shanghai, China. After they had settled into life there, he found himself in a situation where they had all of their needs met without him working. Even though he's not much older than me, he could have retired. He could have said to himself, I've worked hard, and I deserve to just live for myself now, to make myself happy. But he knew God wanted something else. So what is he doing? He bought a small business that makes hummus. And he's decided to use all of the profits from the business to fund surgeries for Chinese children who are very sick and have been abandoned by their families. There are hundreds of millions of people in China that live in what we would call a hut. No electricity, no running water. And when babies are born to these families with a life-altering illness like spina bifida or hydrocephalus or something else, these families often feel they need to give the babies away in hopes that someone else will be able to, to care for these sick babies. The Bao Bay Foundation is an organization whose mission is to fund as many surgeries as possible for children like this. I'm told that when a baby is dropped off, someone calls the Bao Bay Foundation to see if they can fund a surgery. And here you see some of the babies that they've, that they've been able to help. If they can fund the surgery, then the baby gets the treatment that they need and often gets adopted. If they can't fund the surgery, then in many cases the baby doesn't get the treatment needed. So my friend has decided that all of his profits are going to the Bao Bay Foundation to help provide more surgeries. Now I can tell you from working with him that he's definitely been motivated to work hard and and get results. He was my boss. Uh, But he's now got much more motivation than he's ever had before knowing that the more hummus he sells, the more children's lives he's actually saving. When he reached a point in life that many people would envy, instead of using that high, fortunate position to serve himself, he saw it as an opportunity to serve God more fully. Jesus was the boss, and yet it wasn't beneath him to wash 12 guys' dirty feet. When Jesus arrived, he got down on his hands and knees filled up a tub of water, and dragged it around to these men. Will you arrive? How will you go and do likewise? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the example that you gave us in Jesus, that he humbled himself and wasn't too proud to wash feet, even though he was the king. By your grace and power, Pray you will help us to follow his example. Help us to see that every good thing that we've received, everything we've attained is a gift from you for your glory. I pray also that you will wash us with your word daily. Wash us clean and enable us to wash others with your word in a spirit of humility. In Jesus' name, amen.